Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Women, and today we are speaking with Van Ton Quinlevin. Now, I am so excited about this conversation. Van is a nationally recognized thought leader in workforce development with a proven track record for guiding and implementing large system change while fostering a culture of experimentation, innovation, and collaboration. She's worked in both the private as well as nonprofit sectors. Today, she is the CEO of Futuro Health, and Futuro Futuro Health's mission is to improve the health and wealth of communities by growing the largest network of credentialed allied healthcare workers in the nation. And we're going to hear some exciting things about that. Now, Van has been an executive vice chancellor for the California Community of Colleges. There, she started with a $100 million budget. She brought that to over a billion um, in the state of California. In 2013, she was named the White House Champion of Change under the Obama administration in recognition for her notable career in the industry. And she has degrees from Georgetown and Harvard and Stanford, many awards being noted as a California steward leader, also being named a distinguished visiting uh, lecturer and scholar at Stanford. And Van, I'm really excited to be talking to you today. I'm delighted to be invited. Thank you, Lori. Great. Well, why don't we just get started here? So Van, maybe you could just tell us, what are you doing right now? What is Futuro Health all about? So Lori, I launched a new nonprofit called Futuro Health. Uh, it is uh, focused on the shortages of allied health workers in, across the nation, uh, starting here in California. Uh, as you know, uh, especially with the pandemic, we all want our fair share of uh, skilled uh, healthcare workers and 65% of the healthcare workers across the country are in this category called allied health. So imagine for a moment, Lori, if you and I, uh, hopefully this doesn't happen, but let's say we were in a car accident. From the emergency medical technician who comes up in the ambulance to the medical assistants who check us in at the hospital to the x-ray technicians or the medical sonographers, those are all allied health professionals. Uh, minus the doctors, minus the administrators. It's a very important group of frontline workers and we wanna make sure that the, the country doesn't continue to have shortages in these areas. Well, Van, I mean, first of all, you are no um, stranger to taking on big missions and large projects and then taking something large and then making it even larger. I did not realize that you started Futuro Health um, in January of 2020. So that was right before we went into lockdowns with the pandemics. And when I think we all have an appreciation for how important healthcare workers were during the course of this past year. How, how did that go? I mean, in terms of being the leader that you are, how did you steer the organization and starting it out, even while you're dealing with a pandemic? Well, Lori, we were so fortunate that we launched in January and not a month later. 
<laughs> so we had several pivots. Uh, we had we had launched with already a, a set of education and training roadmap because our goal is to grow the number of credentialed allied health workers for the nation. And clearly with the pandemic, that threw a wrench in a few areas. The first learning that we had in the, the pandemic was that as fast as things need to move in order to move at the speed of business, the pandemic taught us that we actually need to move even faster. And that is to move at the speed of need. And in response to the pandemic, you know, our board asked us to really um, prepare a set of, of training that could upskill frontline workers, healthcare workers, for the skill sets needed to ready for the surges that were coming in roughly two and a half to three weeks. That's a very, very short timeline, as you know, to bring about a set of trainings for licensed vocational nurses and medical assistants, for example, how to move from uh, subacute to acute settings, how to make sure that they're donning and doffing PPE correctly. But interestingly enough, because we, the approach that we took for Futuro Health was an agile one, one about creating an agile workforce, we ha had already begun building an ecosystem of education partners whom we were able to pull together and everybody contributed different things in order to launch on time this training. So Med Pima Medical Institute contributed brand new curriculum. We contributed the build out of a learning management system. Another one of our partner, SEIU UHW, contributed the mailing, the outreach campaign. And between all of us, we were able to get the training out at the speed of, of need. And I think this is a very important uh, theme when it comes to the future of work, that we need to not just pace at the speed of business, but pace at the speed of need. The other major change, Laurie, you, you, I'm sure you have seen it, is also the quick cutover that was required into the area of, of telehealth. All of a sudden, anybody dragging their feet in this area of telemedicine or telehealth were forced to cut over in terms of providing services in this new way. And so what we did was we looked around for curriculum that could help existing healthcare centers who were small in nature and were not uh, as, as ready to, with this capacity. And we found a 15-week program fully online for working adults out of the University of Delaware and were able to underwrite 163 staff from all these small uh, public health centers to go and attend that program so that they can learn either from the IT function, the quality function or the clinical function, how do you lift up this service delivery model within a health center? That is, that is so many different things, and it's actually incredible. I like the theme that you're talking about, which is moving at the speed of need. And what a great business mantra, particularly to have, you know, one month before we moved into the lockdown period of um, the pandemic. What a great place to start from. Maybe, Van, if I could move to sort of like the fact that you were able to do that and you had all of the experience and perhaps tools to work with as a leader to move at that speed of, of need, maybe move to a bit of the story of how you got here. I mean, you came from Vietnam, 1975, I think is what I read in terms of your background. You've got numerous um, degrees. I don't know that your family could have envisioned that you would become the leader that you are recognized um, as today. Give us a little bit of that history and how you got to where you are today from where you began, what you were thinking of maybe perhaps when you were early days in your career? 
So Lori, I would say that I didn't begin at the starting line. I actually begin sort of way behind the starting line. Uh, in 1975, my family escaped from the war in Vietnam. And so we were refugees that uh, you know came here to the United States. So I actually am, am a product of lunch tokens and uh, English as a second language, all, all the infrastructure that you'd have to have as a, someone who has newly immigrated to the United States. My father was a, a neurosurgeon over in Vietnam, which, as you know, is, is quite the alpha of, uh, you know, medical doctors. And my mother was a teacher, which is a very venerable uh, profession in um, Vietnam. And what was so humbling was that both of them had to restart uh, from scratch coming here to the United States. My father had to redo his residency all over from scratch. And my mother took a book, bookkeeping job in order to pay the bills. Now, interestingly enough, neither of them were bitter about the transition, about the fact that really all that they had in the past, really the whiteboard got wiped clean for them and they had to start from scratch. Instead, they were just extremely grateful that we had the opportunity to rebuild. And really, so in the work that I do in education, in training, uh, in workforce development, I feel like I continued to be grateful for the opportunity we had and really to pay forward opportunities for others because education certainly opened up the door for me repeatedly in order to uh, be able to access the roles that I've, I've had. And I, I work to make sure that others can come from behind the starting line to uh, being able to be competitive at the starting line. And Van, I've seen, I mean, that's just an incredible story. And to be starting all over again, having expectations of who you are as a family with very accomplished parents, and then starting at the beginning again is an incredible start. So education, clearly an important thing that was helpful to you. But as a someone who has become an incredible business leader and you didn't start with that end in mind, what were some of the things along the way? I've heard in different discussions that you've been in the sort of, you know, being a Vietnamese female leader, the cultural overlay of that. How, are, how do those things manifest themselves and experiences that you've had? And how have you removed those if they were barriers to you to achieving something that you might want to have, have accomplished? Laurie, we all um, work with the expectations of others, right? Whether it's our parents, whether it's our culture. And we, we have, uh, I, I can consider it like little voices of judgments that sit on our shoulder whispering to us, saying that uh, we ought to be doing some things or we're not good enough on, on something else. And so being able to conquer these voices of judgment, especially the negative ones are, are really important. You know, I had to go from being able to conquer some of the voices of judgment that set expectation for how I had to be, especially in Vietnamese culture. There were expectations on how well I could cook. And I, I'm a pretty mediocre uh, cook. <laughs> and there were no expectations for me in terms of professional achievement. So in a way, I had to come to acceptance of myself that I'm going to be very good at certain things. And I, I'm, I'm okay with, with uh, not having the cleanest of house or being the best of cook. And fortunately, uh, no one in my family, neither my sons or my, my husband is expecting to me, uh, for me to, to excel in those skills. So once I, you know, I wrestled with my own voices of judgment, then I was able to really sort of unlock my own capacity. I had this wonderful mentor, Betty Steiger, who 
was in Silicon Valley at the head of uh, Xerox Park. She would have been a CEO of a company had she been born, you know, a decade or, or two later. And she was a great mentor. And she, in mentoring me, advised that, you know, you have to kind of give up your perspective of who you are in order to become the person who you could be. And I didn't fully understand her coaching and mentoring until a little bit later, but it was once I gave up some of my, all, all these voices of judgment that I was holding of, you know, what others expected for me and really became connected to the things that I wanted for myself. Then not surprisingly, my career was able to just take off and I was able to tap into this passion of creating opportunity for others. Um, and that allowed me to go from the private sector where I headed up workforce development for a company of 20,000 and brought them to national prominence to growing public workforce investment in the California community colleges as the executive vice chancellor, which is the largest system of uh, higher education in the nation. And now launching a nonprofit to show the way on how else you could do uh, workforce development, especially in healthcare where healthcare is so much uh, needed. Yeah, and Van, those are really some incredible, you know, experiences you had along the way. I mean, taming those internal voices of doubt that so many women grapple with, how you went about that, that is just a very important um, nugget there. And then that advice that you took from your mentor in terms of envisioning what you could be versus sort of what you're currently doing now sounds transformational in terms of what that opened up for you. So maybe speak a little bit more if I could dig into, you know, feedback and how you have incorporated feedback um, that you've received along the way, because clearly you've built quite a set of accomplishments um, over the course of your career. Well, Lori, I appreciate this opportunity to pay it forward, the, the same gift that I was given, which was the, the power and the value of feedback. And this is a very difficult lesson learned. You know, I had come out of Stanford University and was in a management trainee in my first job, and I received some feedback that I, I thought was really unfair. Uh, I was in this management trainee and they, and they said, well, you don't look approachable. And I thought, well, what does that have to do with the, the work and the quality of my, my work? So I stewed on this feedback for like three months. I mean, that's how long it took me to process this type of feedback. And I, I'll just play it forward for you a little bit. Now, when I get feedback, what I do is I say, thank you. And I, I reflect on that feedback to see what it is that is true and that I would like to act on because not, you know, you don't have to act on a hundred percent of the feedback, but it's a real gift because the people who give you feedback, they only do so because they think you will value it. And if you don't value it, then they will stop giving you that gift. Now, what did I do with that original feedback about, you know, be, not being approachable? Interestingly, my HR department said that individuals like myself, whom they've coached in the past, uh, they've given the advice, for example, that when you're walking, you might want to walk a little slower, you might want to smile more. Uh, and they even taught me how to have more like casual conversation, but more brief with individuals in order to come across more approachable. So they, you know, HR had actually been working with a lot of individuals who are up and coming 
and just to round us out a little bit in terms of um, our persona or our, our approachability. So I'd have to say, you know, whether or not you agree with the, the feedback or, uh, or not, it is a real uh, gift to get the feedback and then to be able to process it and then to come up with some strategies uh, for what you, you believe you might want to, to take from the feedback. And taking control of it and, you know, taking away the emotion of how it might feel. What do you mean I'm not approachable? I feel very approachable, but taking that and really trying to turn it into strategies for how to incorporate that feedback in a, in a way that works for you. That is just terrific. You know, Van, just because you are an expert in the future of work and understanding all the changes that are happening there, I'm wondering if you could give listeners some advice, things like, you know, managing your online reputation or thinking about career changes as there are more and more algorithms that are looking at resumes, what are the types of things that people should be thinking about or looking at just as you uh, might recommend knowing what you know in your profession? So the future of work, I, um, I was invited to the Golden Gate University commencement and it was all the uh, taxation and accounting students and MBA students uh, coming out of the graduate school. And they themselves were very worried about this topic. Well, what of my jobs, what of my careers will be uh, automated? You know, what will be done by robots? And, you know, the rule of thumb, if you want to just for a moment, sit back and reflect on it, is that if 10 years out, the work that you're doing is rote or repetitive, then that's very vulnerable to becoming automated. Uh, so you might want to think about how to do a little less of that and move in the direction of areas that is not rote and, and, and not repetitive, uh, for example. Certainly the, the uh, transferable skills, they call it human plus skills, uh, the communication, the collaboration, the creativity, the, the critical thinking, those will be all very important skill sets in the future because as again, the speed of need is, is moving much faster and so those will be kind of the glue types of skills that is helpful to practice um, and get a greater and greater mastery over time. You know, to your point of control, for example, if you think, uh, for example, accounting, a lot of it is if, if, if there's elements that are repetitive, there may be elements that are not. For example, what is the transition to digitization for your company? Well, if that's an area of strategic interest, then maybe that's where you raise your hand and say, hey, I'm interested in doing a project on digitization of processes and let me volunteer. Could you as a mentor look out for such a project for me and let me know? So you can proactively seek out those projects in order to build your skill set and position yourself uh, for this future work. I'd love to end on a, a, a sort of a provocation, uh, Laurie. You know, when you think about platforms like the Ubers and the, the Lyfts, really what they are is a matching of, of work and of workers, right? I mean, it's really at the end of the day, it's matching of work and workers. Well, who else does the matching of work and workers? That's usually the middle managers, right? So I'd like to provoke the thought by saying, well, is the future one where the algorithm becomes our new middle manager? In which case, algorithms, the only things that algorithms read is data, right? And so over time, it's going to be important to think about your reputation as it translates into data. 
So it's not just your degrees, it's your skills, but it's your reputation, you know, how many stars you get, what is your network? All of that will be in the form of, um, you know, data for the algorithm to read in order to match you as a, as a worker with uh, possible work. And so I think that's, that's a future that is yet uh, uh, to evolve, but it's, you know, one provocation of how the future of work can unfold. That is a future that is yet to evolve, but it is happening now. And I think that is just excellent advice. I think it's inspiring to think about that future in terms of what can be. And Van, I really appreciate you providing all of that information to listeners. This has been an excellent, inspiring women conversation with Van Ton Quinlevin. And Van, thank you so much. Thank you, Lori. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.